What looked like an epidemic of cases of paralysis in Germany following World War II was the germ of the latest book from the historian Monica Black. She noticed that along with this mega cluster of mysterious ailments came a wave of healers ready to conjure miracle cures and offer a defeated people consolation. In her book, A Demon Haunted Land, Black traces the rise and fall of figures such as the superstar faith healer Bruno Groni and the parade of what she calls the witches, wonder doctors and ghosts of the past that floated above the rubble of a nation. When Black spoke to Culturefile, we began by talking about that unique psychic environment that was another legacy of the Nazis. What I think you're you're talking about is the way that an official reckoning with uh, denazification and with the after effects of of the Second World War weren't as clear and thorough as we might have expected, but that gave rise to a lot of very unofficial and very occult ways of dealing with the legacy of the Third Reich and the Second World War. Denazification is often thought of as having been, frankly a kind of failure in Germany, that instead of the country being as denazified as the Allies originally imagined it might be, removing from all positions of authority people who had been important members of the Nazi party, that simply was not possible after in the immediate aftermath of the war, because a lot of those people had also been very well connected in governmental circles, for example. But in other ways, I think, denazification took on these, as you as you put it very nicely, unofficial forms of denazification or unofficial forms of reckoning, I would say, with the past, where feelings of anxiety about one's recent experiences, one's recent acts, the things that one had done during the Third Reich might be revealed. Uh, those kinds of fears drove a lot of the phenomena that I describe in the book. There were certain forms of illness that seemed to afflict a lot of people after the Second World War that very well may have had their roots in the forms of shame and feelings of failure that a lot of people experienced after the Second World War. The way that their feelings of failure and also, to be quite honest, the horror of being occupied by people who had only very recently been your enemies, those experiences had uh, a tremendous emotional impact on a lot of Germans, and and those emotions expressed themselves in some of the strange phenomena that I wrote about in my book. What you unearthed is this kind of cast of characters, and and some are uh, folk doctors or healers, and some seem to be slightly visionary people. But I, I was interested in a minor character who shows up, and he kind of straddles... Uh, comes out of the Second World War and, and, and persists a little bit. The bomb diviner, Alois Ilmar. Ilmar was a, um, a man who was kind of a rural figure in Bavaria who gained a lot of fame, at least locally, because of his ability to divine the fates of people in the afterlife, for example. And he could tell people where bombs were going to fall, or at least he was revered for this ability to know where bombs were going to fall. How good was he at that? Well, according to the people who were his fans, if you will, he was quite adept. 
I mean, he was a person who had real skills. But it was a busy time. I mean, he was far from the only person in, in the divining and vision business. And I, I guess the center of activity is Bruno Groening. Bruno Groening was a figure who sort of appeared out of nowhere, it seemed, in 1949. There was some, apparently some rumors about him, about his ability to cure the sick. And so a family in a, in a Westphalian town called Hereford uh, called for him to come. They, they knew someone who knew about him or could get in touch with him somehow. And so Groening came to Hereford to meet with this family whose young son had been in bed for weeks and weeks, unable to get up or walk around anymore. He had a kind of degenerative muscular disorder. But they called him to their house, and within just a little while of the young boy meeting Bruno Groening, the story goes, uh, the young boy was up walking around, and his parents were amazed and thrilled and delighted, and they asked Bruno Groening to come and live with them. And within a very short time, thousands of people were descending on this small city, trying to get an audience with Groening. And one of the things that struck me when I started researching him as a figure was, I remember sitting in the, in the archives actually, and I remember writing down, I still have my notes from the first time, first time I visited the archive. I wrote down, why do so many people who are contacting him seem to be suffering from some form of paralysis? And it would be all sorts of things. People would say, my, my left foot is paralyzed. Both of my feet are paralyzed since 1944. Since 1945, I've lost all use of my right hand. Since 1946, I haven't been able to walk anymore. And I was really struck by how often that was the case. And so I started trying to understand what the meaning of that illness might be beyond whatever its, mm, let's say, physical or biological meaning might be. He had this uh, astounding rise so that whenever he went to a town, he would be mobbed. There were, there were mass rallies of some sort that kind of would have echoed Nuremberg for people. And so there, there was some sort of official uh, fear that, uh, that this was a, an, another Hitler arising. Yes, there were people, certainly. I don't want to give the impression that everyone in this society embraced Bruno Groening because that's certainly not the case. There was certainly opprobrium from state governments. But one of the things, certainly, that some people pointed out was how eerie it was, in a way, to see this man standing on a balcony, you know, because he would have these enormous gatherings where thousands and thousands of people would show up. And he liked to cultivate a certain kind of mystery around himself, which he seems to have thought was conducive to the healing process. And so he would stand on a balcony looking down on a group of people below in the dark. And at a certain point, a documentary was being shot about him. And so there would be big spotlights illuminating him in the darkness. And all of that has a certain kind of um, resonance and certainly would have had a certain kind of resonance it would have formed a certain memory in people's minds or reminded them of something from the past. And that thing from the past was, was, you know, Hitler standing on a balcony and talking. Monica Black there, author of A Demon Haunted Land. And we'll have the second part of that conversation on a resurgence of witches and witch trials next time on Culture File.